Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Good gardening and welcome. We'll be stopping by. No, we'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Before Mr. Kelly gets out of here, uh, how are your tomatoes doing? I know they're you brought in to some. Kinda, yeah, last week they're starting to kind of fizzle out a little Go bit. Go downhill? Yeah. How but about uh, hummingbirds and things? Hummingbirds, there were fewer around yesterday, but we've had a bunch. And I talked to the hummingbird expert on the show this morning. Aha. Uh-huh. And he said that the ones you see like are passing through kind of. So, And I said, well, I've got two feeders that have eight, eight stations each. And sometimes they're all full. He says, so you take that, multiply it by five, and that's how many hummingbirds you have. So apparently I have like 80 hummingbirds, which Where? I didn't think In your house? They're, they're passing through. Oh. Yeah. No, I, well, you know, if they wanted to come in, that's fine. But they can't <laughs> stay in because they got to eat. And, you know. Are you but sure yeah. there was really 16? They're pretty close, yes. That sounds like an exaggeration. I, I know it does, but I, I, can, <laughs> I, I was going to shoot video. But yesterday they were down a little bit. I don't know what happened. But. And the monarch butterflies. They're around, got a lot of butterflies. Absolutely. That's the neat thing is that when you have the butterfly bushes, you attract hummingbirds and butterflies. Right. So the butterflies now are, are going crazy. Well, I got hyacinth and bean vines, which have purplish flowers. Uh-huh. And man, both of them really love them. Isn't it great? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I can sit it. out there and just, wow. Uh-huh. And you do. <laughs> Migratory. <It's> so <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Great time of year. Yep, great. Well, thanks, Brian. You bet. And folks, every Saturday we get together and we discuss your yard, landscape, garden, your house plants. get those house plants cleaned up because they're going to be coming in in about a month or so. How about a potting mix versus soil improvements? How about pruning, bugs, diseases, plant removal? plant installation. Please remember my words are open opportunities. After that, it takes physical and mental effort on your part in this great marathon called gardening. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg. He is producing today. He's, I mean, uh, just amazing on how he can handle everything that happens in the production aspects. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been producing the Garden Hotline. No, I don't produce it. They don't even let me touch any buttons. So when something goes wrong, I say, I step back and say, please help. And Greg comes over and gives me a hand. And uh, I've been doing the Garden Hotline as a host since 1994. Five gardening books I've written and two are currently available at various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener Magazine, which comes out every two months. During the week, I do landscape consulting. And uh, if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage is email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. A long stretch of goldenrod streaks northward. Rebecca, which is black-eyed Susan's. Butterfly weed and penstemon. Russian sage, that purple really stands out among 
all the yellows. Many plants are self-seeding, and they've dropped seeds over the last couple of years, so the colony really looks good. The bark mulch, I mean, pretty much weed-free. Several plants were bending over. Uh, they're heading for sleep in a long winter's nap. A trio of crab apples and one miscanthus, maiden grass, was softening the south side of the building. On the west side, dark green foster hollies, flowering cherry trees, pink crepe myrtles were ad- adding the nice end of summer color. They were bracing the doorway as well. Two large pots, two bo- each with red periwinkle and red flowering tobacco. Yes, flowering tobacco. And a highlight engraved sign says, This is the 12th and Park Neighborhood Facilities, City of St. Louis. Alfonso J. Cervantes was the mayor, and it was erected in 1970. Wow. And a bike rack, which is there, (laughs) that is not that old for sure, but it allows the riders to uh, lock their bikes up. On the north side, there's a lawn area, two crab apples, and a grove of white pines in the back. Modern playground way, way in the back sits and waits, like the basketball court adjacent to the parking lot. Crickets were chirping. There's much more around back if you want to take a look. And I said, sorry, I'm out of time. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, to the phones we go. And if you do have any questions, comments, or concerns, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed to West County and we're going into Mary's yard. Mary, how are you? Fine, thank you. Um, You have mentioned several times now is the time of the year to put a pre-emergent down. Is there any particular brand or kind that you recommend? No, just basically a pre-emergent wherever you go as far as your favorite garden center, whatever one they have. If it's pre-emergent, it should be able to adequately take care of the problem. Okay, so does it make a bit of difference? No. Okay. Then if I do the pre-emergent at this time of the year, do I need to do another kind of fertilizer or, or preparation at all? Uh, basically, just realize if you put a pre-emergent down, you cannot put grass seed down. So you okay. can't put any lawn seed because a pre-emergent will kill any kind of seed that's germinating. So just okay, kind so of realize that fact. And so, I mean, you know, pre-emergent and fertilizing has nothing to do with each other. So if you, want, if you have a cool season lawn, fescue, or bluegrass, then you can do your fall feeding program, you know, September, October, and November. Okay, so pre-emergent and the fall feeding. Okay, right. That's, that was my question. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Certainly. And now let's go to Vic, and he lives in Maryville, Illinois. Hi, Vic. Hey, Mike. Good morning to you. Hi. Hey, um, I recently moved back from the Ozarks, and I brought a couple of saplings, cedar saplings, and, uh, of course, they've outgrown my whole uh, backyard, and uh, I'm trying to transplant a few of them with other people. Uh, is there a better time than now or wait till the fall to transplant some of these saplings at other people's yards? So these are ones that you have growing in the ground or in pots? In the ground. Okay. Um how, how large actually are they? Well, they're uh, about six inches, and now I have one that's 20 foot high. <laughs> well, you can't move those. No, no, but I mean, the, the little bitty ones, uh, they're easy. Uh, I don't know if there's a better time than to move them. No, this is a pretty good time, actually. Um, in my yard, 
birds eat the, uh, the cedar, you know, the blue fruits, the berries on the cedar trees. They come and sit in, on the power lines or they sit on the trees, go to the bathroom. So I have a bunch of cedars coming up every year. What I do is this time of year, I dig them up, put them in window boxes, and then later on when all the annuals that I take off my, you know, off my window, out of, off my windows, then I replace them for the wintertime with, you know, cedar saplings or, you know, let's say new germinated seeds. And, uh, you know, that's, so, no, I do it this time of year, and so it's not a problem. An unusual thing happened uh, earlier this spring, uh, maybe midsummer. I was looking outside at my cedar, and there was about 50 cedar waxing birds. <laughs> they love the berries. Mike, are you still there? Yes. Mm, I lost him. Oh, sorry, Vic. Yeah, so, uh, no, I mean, I can't, it took me a long time to figure out where they actually were going to get the, let's say, the cedar blueberries, and... Uh, Boy, oh boy, my yard. Probably right now, I have seedlings about a foot or less, maybe 20 of them. So I just kind of fool around, and then some of them I'm going to actually just get rid of. So now let's go to South City and into Dennis's yard. Hi, Dennis. Hey, how you doing? Don't come in the yard. The grass is terrible. <laughs> but, uh, my problem is I bought some poinsettias in November of last year, and I kept them inside, and they started turning you know, yellow uh, in February, March, and started dropping leaves. So I moved them outside. Now they're really blooming, but it's all green leaves, and they look like a little shrub. I mean, that's how much they've grown, but the leaves look a little smaller than the original poinsettia leaves. Right. I mean, will this thing go back to red? Because I'm going to bring it in. Probably the end of September, October, somewhere in there. You should probably bring in a little bit, uh, you know, towards the end of you know September or mid-September, and then understand that it ha- you're you're going to have to sort of duplicate what happens where the poinsettias are native to, which is in Mexico. So you're going to have to put them in total darkness for about 12 to 14 hours every night. So in other words, in a closet, then bring them out and put them in the sun. That's what you have to do to make those bracts, in theory, change from the green to the reddish color. So they will go back to red if I do that. Yes, but I mean, you have to do it for like four to six or seven weeks. So sometimes, uh, you know, that's necessary. For some some way, my mother had a poinsettia, and she wasn't really into plants at all. But her poinsettia, those bracts, those colorful leaves on the top, she just left them sit in the same window all the time, and they would change every year. So I don't know exactly what went on. But the reason why your bracts or your top leaves are smaller is because you don't, they weren't in a greenhouse like they were when you first bought it. And if I don't put them in darkness and that, will they just stay green then? Yes, right. Okay, one other question. Is a good time to trim my hues now? Uh, yeah, I'd probably get it done as soon as you possibly can. I just hate to do pruning too late in the season because we don't know, you know, when the cold, 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 really cold weather is going to happen, and it could do some damage to the newly pruned, you know, stems and branches. So get it done before winter. Yeah, exactly. Okay, thank you. Yep. And now let's go from South City to Creve Corps. Maria, how are you? Hi, Mike. I'm well. I've been listening to you diligently about trying to fix my lawn, and I've compiled all the components, went to St. Louis to composting and got my compost. And I thought I heard you say last week that I could 
do all this, lay the seed down, scratch the soil, lay the seed down, put the compost on top. However, I'm going to be gone for three weeks. And can I do all this and then start watering when I get back? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> because, it, I mean, the seed may germinate and then, okay, then it starts growing. And then if we have a dry, you know, dry spell with wind, then those newly germinated seedlings are just going to dehydrate and die. Okay. So, I mean, you have to be sort of dedicated in there for kind of two weeks after the seed germinates. Now, if the seed didn't germinate, you would be fine. But if it did germinate, that's where the trouble would come in. Okay, so just wait until I return. Yeah, and if it's, uh, you know, it might be a little bit late, but uh, it's better then probably than now, because especially with the way the temperatures are and everything. We're, you know, I mean, I heard Brian Kelly was talking about talking to the weather folks and 90 degrees for the next X amount of days and all that other stuff, that could really trigger quick germination consequently, and then you're not there to do the aftercare. Okay. Well, thank you for the information. Sure. Bye-bye. See ya. And now let's go from Creevecore to Florissen. Hi, Jerry. Hello, Mike. Uh, I have a soybean problem. About 25% of it is already uh, brown and looks like it's dead. I just wonder what I can do this fall to bring it back maybe for the spring. Uh, there's really not too much. I mean, you might have a service come out and take a look to see if you have chinch bugs, which have caused major problems with the zoysia, or you have a fungus problem. Uh, if you, if there is, uh, you know, you got to really kind of figure out what what's going on there, rather than just do, going out there. If you wanted to just rake the area and then wait till next year to put in some new sod or some plugs, that's fine. But there's not really too much you can do now. Definitely don't do any fertilizing, nothing like that whatsoever. So uh, this is kind of the end of the zoysia season as far as doing too much. And if the reason why I'm saying you might be able to, you know, just kind of rake it so it doesn't look so horrible, but uh, finding out exactly what it is, you need to do that. Okay. Another thing, uh, we're getting some mums. Could, could they uh, survive the winter in a whiskey barrel? Uh, might be able to. The thing about buying mums this time of year where they're in, when they're in bud and everything else is – they may not be able to get their roots out into whether it's potting mix in the whiskey barrel or you have them in the ground or something else because they have to have well-established root system to be able to survive our winter time. And if they don't have the well-established root system, then, I mean, they're just not going to make it, but it's always worth a try. Okay. Well, thank you. Yep. Okay. And now let's go to St. Charles and see what's going on with Phil. Hi, Phil. Good morning, Mike. Uh Got a question for you, kind of a follow-up. The lady called a couple of calls ago uh, about putting grass seed down on the lawn. Uh, are the temperatures too high to do that right now? Uh, 91 is predicted for every day this next week, and they say September is a good time to put your grass seed down. Right. But uh, I've got some uh, dead spots that I do need to put seed down, and I wanted to do it as soon as possible to give it time to grow. But is this going to be too soon uh, with these high temperatures? Well, it's going to, you know, depending upon the circumstance and everything else, it's still going to take quite, you know, several days before the seed's going to germinate. So during this time, after you put the seed down, really for the next couple of weeks after you put seed down, you should water every day. So that's going to modify this, you know, the soil temperature, and that's really much more crucial than the air temperature. Air temperature is, you know, obviously important. 
But the soil temperature is what triggers the germination of the seed or the advancement of root systems and everything else. So, I, you know, I wouldn't be adverse to giving it a shot this time of year. Just make sure that if you have bluegrass or you have fescue, get a blend. Don't get anything, just pure one variety of either bluegrass or fescue. Right. Well, I do have a, a fescue blend. Uh, I guess I was a little concerned about the fact that the seeds are going to be so much on top of the uh, soil. I mean, you know, near the surface where the sun is going to be beating down on it. And I plan to water you right. know, every day. But uh, I guess I was a little concerned, you know, the temperatures might be higher up where the grass seed is as opposed to the, you know, actual soil temperature down a little deeper. Well, the soil, the seed should be down in contact with the soil. And if it's just laying on the grass blades, then that's not good at all. No, no. So if it's down on the soil, it's underneath the blades, it's getting, you know, some, let's say, cover as a result of that. And so oh. you should be fine. Okay, okay, great. Listen, I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you a lot. And, you know, one thing about, you know, putting the seed down yourself and everything else is the calibration of the amount of seed per, you know, let's say 1,000 square feet or something. If you don't have a good spreader, sometimes all the seed's going to end up not exactly, you know, in the amounts you wanted to evenly distributed. So just be conscious of that fact. And then if you do, you know, I always recommend putting compost down. I would say Ideally, you'd core aerate first, then put the seed down, then put the compost down, and then put the seed starter fertilizer down, and uh, then do the watering you know, for the next two weeks. So thanks, Phil. And now let's go to Margie in Kirkwood. Hi, Margie. Good morning, uh, Mike. I wanted your opinion on something. You know the um, uh, purslane that grows up everywhere? In the, the wild land? stuff, yes. Yes, yes. I have been reading on the internet for years that that's a superfood that it has like huge amounts of omega-3 fatty acids and etc that it's edible Whoa. and i wondered if you knew anything about that because I've, i actually tried it i put it in my smoothies and i haven't had any adverse reactions but i wondered if you knew anything about that no i sure don't you know i mean there's a lot of edible things out there and uh so you don't have anything growing out of your ears or your nose or anything no, no nothing <laughs> so you know, if you're willing to try it, that's fine. It's just uh, okay. well, you, you have to have a heck of a lot of purslane to make any kind of impact, I would think. Well, yeah, probably so, but uh, who knows? It's the <laughs> ultimate weeding feed, if that's true. <laughs> that's true. That is, you know, weeding and feeding. Right, right. <laughs> well, great. No, that's a new one on me. I've never heard of eating purslane. Okay, well, thank you. Certainly. Sorry. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. After these messages, I will be back. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've had a lot of questions related to lawns and everything else. Cool season lawns. This is the season. This is the time to get everything taken care of. But just remember... You know, I've been talking about don't put grass seed down at the same time you're putting a pre-emergent, but also realize that any kind of herbicide, even broadleaf weed killers, can have a detrimental impact on newly germinated grass seed. So even though grass seed is not a broadleaf, putting a broadleaf weed killer down over newly germinated seed... Oh, that's not so good. You may really kind of kill everything else off. Also, once your seed starts growing, 
Do not mow it until it's at least three inches high. You say, what difference does that make? Well, when it's three inches high, that kind of indicates that there is an adequate root system that will prevent it from being yanked up out of the ground as your mower goes over the top of it. So that's the reason why you got to watch out about doing that. Claire lives in Webster Groves. Hi, Claire. Claire, are you there? Yes, I thought I got cut off. Oh, no. Hello? Hello? Yes. Go ahead. Oh, am I on the air now? As far as I know. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for your service. I had a question. We're having our house painted, and I have bushes next to the house that have to be cut back so the painters can't get to them. I have two or, well, I have several stargazer lily plants that were got really tall and full of flowers this year Mm -hmm. and they're still green but uh, I wonder if I can cut those down now I know they have to have enough time to build their flowers for next year but um, they're green they still have like the pods on them and everything looks healthy yet if I cut those down will I have flowers next year? Well, it's hard to say, but this is the end of the sort of, let's say, Asiatic lily bloom season. I've got three different varieties in my yard, and most of them, the latest blooming one is still green, but the foliage is starting, the little blades coming off the major stem are still are starting to turn yellowish. So I would have to probably think yours are doing the same thing. So I would green say, yet. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're taking a chance because it. what it does is it uses those leaves to build up the bulb for next right. year. Right. So if you do it, then you, you know, you're going to have to just keep your fingers crossed. Right. So we don't know. But it's, I guess leave them there as long as I can, right? Right, exactly. And maybe just leave them, and if they knock them over or anything else, uh, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. Then I also have hydrangeas, and I know you can't. You're not supposed to cut those back either. At least mine are the older bushes where they come up from the the dead-looking stems. Right. And I don't know how if I cut some of that. I don't have to cut the whole plant, but sure. I have to cut some of it back. I guess I won't get any flowers on it for next year on that area. But will it? Will they ever come back, or is that? Well, they should. I mean. You're just pruning off part of it, so in reality, I'm assuming you probably have the PG variety, which blooms in the spring, as opposed to the summer blooming varieties? Well, they seem to go through a great portion. They went through July this year. Wow, that's kind of an extended period of time. I guess it was weather-related, but for the most part, you're going to have to cut it back, or again, I would say with those guys, I would prune them, as opposed to the lilies, which I would just leave, and if they get knocked over, fine. But if I prune, like, the green leaves and the stems, uh, the dark, you know, the, the dead-looking ones, right. that, that may or may not affect next year. Even if it does affect next year, I was just concerned that they would never come back. Well, I mean, the, the chances of that, unless, you know, some mate, unless they put, you know, a ladder right down in the center of, you know, well, and damages a crown. So, yeah. Um, they tell me they'll cover them. Okay. So... I would hope, but that's going to go into the ground, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, it all depends. I would yeah. assume it would, yes. The power washing. Right. I mean, but that's so water. Water with a bleach, probably, though, right? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to use. So ask yeah. them to find yeah. out for sure. Yeah. 
But if they do use that, what do I do? Just put more water and dilute it? Yeah, exactly. Because probably the quantity of bleach versus water is probably fairly minimal. So okay. I would not think it would be like 90% bleach and 10% water. It's probably okay. the other way around. Right, right, right. So that wouldn't affect the following several years, at least. It might affect next year. Yeah, right? it could. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for your service. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Now let's go back up to Florissant and go into Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Good morning. Um, I have a couple of questions. My roses have stopped blooming, and I was wondering, should I still be fertilizing? And the the other question is, is there a a place where you can take, um, well, in the county, North County, where you can take your tree limbs or branches or whatever uh, to get rid of, you know, from the storm that were not picked up? Uh, Basically, you can go to the, you know, St. Louis composting, but they do have a fee to drop off, you know, branches and limbs and all that other stuff. So unless you have a huge quantity, it's probably not going to be worth the cost-wise. And related to your roses, no fertilizer with nitrogen in it. And don't do any more pruning on the roses. Let the rose hips, you know, form. So in other words, the rose hips will be those little balls. After they finish flowering, they form these little round hips, as that's what they call it. But uh, so no more, you know, basically stop the pruning for the most part and no fertilizer that has... If you look at the bags of fertilizer or rose food, the first numbers, you know, can't be there. So, in other words, it's like zero five five. You could probably do something like that, but uh, maybe not, you don't even need that. So, again, in the limbs and branches, there's that's the only, you know, the only drop-off point that I know there is in North County on County Park Road. Okay, County Park Road. Okay, now you were talking about the fertilizer. Does the rose food have fertilizer in it? It has nitrogen. probably does. Okay. So I would say if they were healthy and everything else and they still look good foliage-wise, I don't necessarily think that you need to go and do any fertilizing. All right. All right, thank you. Certainly. And now let's go from Florissant down to High Ridge into Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Good morning. Thank you for your service. I'd like to know what I could spray on my garden. I had five or six cherry tomato plants, and now I got my rototill by garden up the other day. I got 50,000 little tomato plants in there. What can I spray in there that won't uh, affect my garden next year to kind of kill all that off? Well, if you've got tomato plants that are germinating, they're going to die during the winter anyway. They won't, they won't resurface next year? No. They're not, they're not perennials. They have to be replanted every year, so they're an annual type thing. Okay, is there anything I can spray in there to just kind of alleviate some weed problems that uh if it's like, basically like if it's if it's things that are just newly germinated, I would just go out there and rototill it again and okay. just turn everything over and you know that's probably going to be an easy way or just go out there and rake it heavily and that should yank the seedlings up out of the ground. Okay, thank you. Yep. Thank you for your service. Well, Bye. thank you. And uh let's go from High Ridge Northward again to Spanish Lake. Hi, Larry. How are you today? Fantastic. How are you doing today? Very good. good. I got a I got a question about uh, two questions actually. I got one about my yard. I have a very very bad shade problem it's with a lot of pin oaks. So I'm trying to figure out how to get uh, the right seed. One and then two. When I do the fertilizing versus the seeding. Basically, if you have large trees in your yard, you're never going to get a lawn successful to grow. 
no matter what you do, no matter what kind of seed or anything else. The seed will germinate and it'll last X amount of days, weeks, months, you know, and then that's going to be it. Then it's going to decline again. So you just can't grow. And it's not necessarily the shade. People say, well, it's the shade. It's the tree root systems that are competing with the, your lawn. And lawn cannot handle that. It, you, know, you can go to the botanical garden where they have trees. And even in those areas, you may think the lawn looks good. But if you go and look straight down, it's not all that good. And they're putting probably seed down a couple times a year. They're correlating. They're doing everything exactly right. And they still will have patchy lawn. So, so basically, what I, my theory was to move, to move. I have 12 trees. I had 13, 14 when I moved there, uh, so 10 years ago. So basically, I'm trying to kind of get all the trees just to the outside edge of the yard, and so I, so I can have a, like you know a pretty basic, nice big footprint around the house. And the outside edges, I don't really have a problem with that being a little bit bad. But but I but I I was at the same understanding as that too. Right. And basically, if you cut the trees out, even grind the stump out, the root systems are, of the trees are from the time that they're cut off and stump ground could stay viable any place between three to five years. So wow. with each year declining, but you're going to have a difficult time through that whole process before you're going to have a successful lawn. I see. All right. Well, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Yeah. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. We're going north to Ferguson and going into Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. How are you? Hi, Mike. Uh, I've got a, a, I've had a 40-year-old soys lawn that was good, did everything to take care of it. Had a problem started last year, and now this year, from my back around the side to the front, eighty percent of it is just dead. Ooh. And I'm wanting I'm not gonna go with Zoys anymore. I just wanna plant some grass seed and I was wanting to know what do I have to do? You know, this grass is a mat sort of top and uh the uh I just wanna know what I have to do with that and what kind of grass seed that I should plant. You should probably get a fescue blend which is going to be all probably multiple, you know, I don't know how many different, but all sorts of different types of fescues. And the reason why I'm saying that as opposed to the bluegrass, bluegrass has some, you know, inherent problems here with grubs, you know, because there is one grub that goes after bluegrass root systems only. And mm-hmm. bluegrass seems to have more problems with fungus and things like that. So a fescue blend, and you should probably have somebody come out and dethatch these areas. So in other words, with a machine, if you decide you don't want to have somebody come out with a machine to dethatch, you're going to have to go out there at least with a leaf rake and rake, you know, north and south and then east and west to get as much of that debris, that brown stuff, out of those areas as you possibly can. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so just rake it. Got to actually get it out, not just, and that'll loosen up the soil enough to, that I can just put the seed down in. Yes, right. Because once you get that thatch, that dead stuff, that brown stuff out, then when you put the seed down, you should the seed should really kind of be in direct contact with the ground, with the soil. And so consequently, then you're better if you do put some you know compost over the top of it. That just helps overall health healthy aspect of your soil and your seed, and then put a seed starter type fertilizer down as well. Okay. 
And then after you put the seed down, you're going to have to water it every, you know, every day for a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah, I understand that. Okay. Sure. Okay, so I, I just want to know how much of that dead stuff I had to get up. That you was- should get as much as possible. Uh-huh. And it's just so the seed comes, you know, lands on contact with the ground versus just laying on dead thatch. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck. You'll have giant biceps by the time you finish. So let's go now to Kathy's yard in St. Charles. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Hey, I've got a question about my hydrangea. It's about six and a half feet tall, and I want to trim it because it's too big. It's next to the driveway. Can I do that now? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can. There's no. Yeah. I mean, probably what I would do as opposed to doing that is I would, you know, maybe consider digging it up and transplanting it to a location where you don't have to fool with it on a, let's say, an annual basis. Yeah. Well, if I trimmed it now, would it bloom next bloom next year? Is it in when did it flower this year? It's still it's got some blooms on it now. So are they spent? Are they still white? Or are they have they turned they're green? Still, they're still white. Okay, so then you've got one that's you know a late summer bloomer. So yeah, it shouldn't have a problem blooming next year. So in other words, ones that don't bloom in the spring are ones that bloom on new growth. The following year. So, in other words, the stems, the growth, and everything that happens in 2019, that's where the flower buds will be. Oh, okay. Okay. But it did have flowers on it like it's, uh, like at the end of May. So, that's fine as long as it can, you know, okay. if it kept flowering, you know, it's a, yeah. you know, whatever okay. variety it is, it's hard to tell. Okay. And I got one more quick question. If I uh, get my boxwood uh, trim now, Will that be okay for them to go through the winter? Yeah, as long as you get it done so they can sort of harden off before, you know, we get a really disastrous cold snap. Just realize, too, that if you prune it like right now or prune them now, you know, you're cutting off, let's say, the tips that have gotten really used to the heat, the sun, and everything else. And you get rid of those. Now, the the leaves that are below where the stuff that you've cut off is, you could actually have a sunburn problem. Because of the way that you know our weather is right now, so that's the only let's say detrimental downside of you know pruning right now. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yep. And now let's go to Melville and to Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I'm wondering if it would be okay to trim a purple plum tree and then the boxwoods I think you just uh, addressed and hues this weekend with the 90 degree temperatures. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just a question of, like I said, exposing things. Probably the purple leaf plum wouldn't matter. Purple leaf plum, if you prune it or anything that flowers in the springtime, pruning it this time of year just means you're reducing the flowers for next spring. Doesn't necessarily hurt them or anything else. Yeah, I just want to shape it up. So. Yeah, ideally yeah. you'd wait until you know the foliage starts turning colors and drop. But uh, if you if you have to get it done right now, then you could do it. It's not the best time to do it. Okay, and hues would be okay too. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's see, Tim from Eureka. Could you do it kind of quick? Yeah, I will. We've uh, live on a in a subdivision Eureka with four and a half acre plus lots and we are experiencing a lot of digging up of the mulch in our area and we've noticed that we've got armadillos everywhere Woo. okay so what can you uh, recommend as far as uh helping uh, get rid of the armadillos 
Boy, armadillos, you know, I don't have any personal experience with. I'd call it professional service and see about trapping them. But, uh, boy, oh, boy, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize the armadillos were that problematic yet in any areas. Oh, yeah, we've got we've, our whole subdivision. People spot, you know, groups of them, four, five, six of them at a time. Whoa. I didn't yeah. know they were colonizers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry, but, yeah, I'd get a professional service. Or go to the St. Louis County you know, you know, they've got the offices and see what they recommend as far as armadillo control. I don't know if you want to poison them. The tree, you know, they're probably the services that come out, they'll trap them. And you know, what happens after that? I'm assuming they're not going to just release them someplace else. So right. they're probably going to kill them. But, uh, yeah, I've never really had any experience with armadillos. They've, since I've, let's say been in the field, uh, the armadillos have migrated, you know, northward. So and if my if my wife and I wanted to have uh, a walkthrough, we would just call your office and schedule a time. Exactly, that's all you need to do. Very good, thank you. Yeah, call or email either way. Sometimes calling, we play phone tag over and over and over again. But yes, so just go to my website and contact me, and we'll go from there. So uh, anybody else, take a look out your windows. Take a look. Walk around in your yard. You've got a few minutes, and then you can come back in and give a call at three one four. Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Cool season lawn. This is the time of year. Your zoysia will still look good for about another month or so, but it's slowly but surely going to stop growing as much and everything else. So, just realize that, and uh, boy, just enjoy. That's the most important part. We spend a lot of time working. Take some time to enjoy. Mike Miller. I'll be back after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with any questions, comments, or concerns. Thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call. We can talk about plant selection ups and downs and all arounds about annuals. Yes, keep taking care of your annuals. They're going to have another at least four, if not six or seven weeks of pretty good production. And then, of course, the pansies are not available yet in the garden centers, but I was, you know, Trace and I were out shopping, I guess it was on Thursday, and we saw there's places that are selling not only just mums, but they're selling other things as well, pots of zinnias. And the zinnias, you know, personally, moms are great, but they're a little bit too beep, 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 boring for me. And it's nothing against you mom lovers or anything else. I think they're fantastic. But uh, uh, the zinnias, you know, huge flowers look really, really good. How about your edibles? How about your bulbs? Yes, you can purchase your spring flowering bulbs, but do not install them yet. Wait until at least October and t- towards the end of October. You know, I've read things that say, well, you can plant any kind of bulb this time of year except tulips. you got to wait till mid to late October to plant the tulips. But I think it's you're just better off to wait just kind of in general for all the bulbs. That's just my own personal impression. So your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your shrubs, your trees, your vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my comments, answers, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but just strictly as, as an option for you to consider. Greg is producing, and uh, when you no, when you call, 
Greg will answer the phone. He'll ask you your name and where you're calling from, and that's pretty much it. And then we just kind of take it from there. During the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and discuss what's going on aesthetic-wise, problem-solving-wise, or anything else, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. Homepage will have my email address or phone number. So um, then we can schedule a walk and talk. Today, after the show, I'm headed to Chesterfield and then to Baldwin after Chesterfield. And during those walk and talks, I'll share 40-plus years of experience related to your home's landscape, plants, care, maintenance, and everything else. And now, a special recognition for an individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to somebody in my neighborhood who I call the Canna, C-A-N, just like Canna's, Canna Banana Farm. It's right at the corner of Federer and Morgan Ford, and... (laughs) It's striking. Now that he's even got a giant pot of bananas on his front porch. So he's got them in the ground and everything else. He digs the bananas up every year, takes them inside the cannas as well. So I just call him the Canna Banana Farm. Also, the tip of the trial goes out to the Gateway West Jesneriad Society. And they're going to have their show and sale at the Missouri Botanical Garden. And the admission to their show sale is going to be free with the admission to the garden. That's going to be on September 15th and 16th, 9 to 5. So the Gateway West Jesneriad Society. Jesneriads, don't quite know what those are. Well, you think, well, they're African violets, but there's many more than just the African violets in this Jesneriad Society you know, show. It's really, really kind of a striking you know, time that you can spend. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If Greg doesn't answer the phone immediately, it's because he's doing some jumping jacks right now. So anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. First call of the hour is going to be in St. Louis, and that's Lori's yard. Hi, Lori. Hi. How are you this morning, Mike? Very good. After uh, the gas company got done with all the work and replacing the meters on our block, I've got this, ops, you know, this great big monstrosity meter now right at the front of the house. Ooh. Yeah. It's an eyesore. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... I've got a bush that's in my yard already, but we've been in our home for like 28 years, and I'm wanting to plant a shrub in front of this monstrosity to kind of camouflage it. Right. Now, our house faces the south, which means I've got the hot afternoon sun all day. Right. I kind of thought about like a a holly bush or, you know, the, the blue spruce trees, but it would not be advisable, I don't think, to uh, plant a tree that close to the house because of root systems. Absolutely, and not only that, just your know, growth in towards your house and everything else. Yeah, and I already had to have water lines replaced Ooh. because of a tree, so I had all the trees in front taken out. I was wondering if you would recommend something that I can go to get at the nursery, and would be would. Um, would the fall be a better time to plant it, or when would you advise? Fall is the ideal plant time to plant pretty much anything. So, I mean, whether it's trees, shrubs, you know, perennials, ground covers, and things like that, 
So that would this is the ideal time between now and let's say mid to late October or a little bit past that weather dependent. Probably what I you know probably what I would look at is I don't know how much space you have, but I'd look at putting in the Hicks H I C K S Hicks U's. There are varieties of U's. They're evergreen. They grow vertical, so the only thing you have to worry about is controlling the height. And then just leave a little space in front of it. So if you wanted to put something, you know, in front, like a seasonal color or annuals or bulbs or whatever it happens to be. So I would I would do that. The hollies, I'd, you know, be a little bit concerned with because lifespan and everything else. But the Hicks U's are tough. They're durable. And how far off the ground is this meter? Uh, the meter is up probably about a foot and a half. Off the ground. And then how big is it? Uh a f- two feet, one foot? It's probably about one foot. Okay. So either the Hicks use or I would look, another option would be the Globe, G-L-O-B-E, Globe Arborvitae. It's another shrub that doesn't need any pruning. This one, the Hicks U grows straight up, gets about uh, two feet wide at the most, maybe a couple of them you might need. But the Globe Arborvitae grows round. So you might even just put, let's say, two Globe Arborvitae side by side with some space in between and then put a Hicks U kind of creating a triangle effect. Okay. And just make it so it has a little bit of interest in it. All right, then. Well, I thank you very much for your input. Now I won't be going out to the nursery going, um, um, um. (laughs) 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 And I do like the stop saying that Christy and... uh, and uh, Holly Hills. <laughs> oh, I agree. I mean, it is like, wow. It is. Thanks a lot, Mike. Certainly. Have a good holiday. You do the very same thing. And now let's go out to Lake Sherwood into Cindy's yard. Hi, Cindy. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm wonderful. Uh, I have an issue with Creeping Charlie. I used to have a yard that was primarily all English ivy. I have a lot of landscaping and flowers and Creeping Charlie has taken over my ID and has just basically killed my yard. How can I get rid of this stuff? It's a tough one, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, broadleaf weed killer is going to probably be your best way. But, you know, when you kill it off, then you end up with virtually nothing. So that's kind of the... I know. So that's kind of... you. So probably I would, you know, decide certain areas and just go after one section at a time as opposed to doing... Let's say a broad spread over a broad spray over you know everything. That would not be the way I'd go about doing it. Yeah, the yard is at a slant, so I'm I'm afraid of runoff. That's why I haven't done anything with it so far, and pulling it out has not helped. Right. So start at the bottom if it's on a slope, and work your way up the hill. That way, if you start at the top, you can start having erosion, and it can you know run you know let's say soil and everything else down on top of everything below it. So if if you got a slope, you want to get the weeds under control and then get something, you know, in there, a new lawn circumstance, that's the place to start is the bo- at the bottom. Now, it's it's a shady area, so that's why they love it, I'm sure. Oh. Is there any type of grass that I can put in there that would eventually that I could plant there that Creeping Charlie wouldn't take over that also? No. There's no lawn that can grow in a shaded area, to be honest. Okay. I mean, they have these shady spot mixes and everything else, but they're not all that successful. No. Okay. It's either that or we just rock the whole thing. But I don't want to do that. Yeah, or, I mean, you can go with traditional ground covers. You know, like the ivies, the periwinkles, and things like that. Yeah, I loved my ivy yard, and like I said, it's 
pretty much gone now. Right. So, um, any suggestions on what you would use? What kind of broadleaf killer? Uh, you know, pretty much no any favorite. as long as it's a broadleaf killer. So just. You know, okay. kind of read the label, follow the instructions. Don't you know? Don't make too much. Don't make too little as far as how much of the herbicide that you put in with the water mix. Or you can get a pre. You know, I mean, get it already in a bottle and use that. So you can spray like a hose in attachment type thing. So it doesn't really matter. I would say don't buy a huge amount of anything. Try it. See how you think it's working. And then if you're satisfied with it. You know, from the smallest bottle, then you can go, you know, just get another small bottle. And that's probably what I would recommend doing. Any time of year? Uh, Early in the year or later? Well, now is a problem because the weeds have gone through a really hot, hot summer. Even if it's in the shade, they've put this waxy cuticle on the surface. So the herbicides are somewhat, their effectiveness is starting to diminish. And especially it'll be diminishing once the temperatures start getting down below the 70s. So I would go out there, walk on this stuff to, you know, put some, you know, let's say damage to the foliage, and then put the weed killer down at that time. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'll try it's, anything at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot of work. So are you sure you want to stay in this house? You might want to sell it. <laughs> no, I definitely want to stay in the house. Okay. But I'll rock it before I give up. So, but thanks anyway. Certainly. Thanks, Cindy. Oh, I was going to say, you. you know, I'm a real estate agent. No, I'm not. <laughs> Anita lives in Swansea, Illinois. Hi, Anita. Hi. Um, I'm calling about some grass again. It seems like they had so many calls this morning. I have uh, my yard partly is got a lot of um, Bermuda grass in it. Oh. Okay. And the rest, I mean, it's just in the front yard, and I measured up. I'm not good at all this stuff, but like six by four feet, or I don't know, is six feet very long? Well, six feet's about as tall as, let's say, the average male is. Oh, I know, six. Oh, no, this is by, oh, six times Six twelve. Oh, it's more than that. Six twelve. Eighteen twenty four. It's six by uh, six is thirty six. Thirty six. Uh, it's more than six. Yeah, six. Uh, thirty six feet by um, six uh, by four feet. Tw- six twelve twenty four thirty six forty eight forty eight. So thirty six by forty eight. That's huge. Thirty six by forty eight. If, I don't know. Is that? I'm just guessing. But anyway, if you've got that much Bermuda grass, I would say you should get a professional lawn service to come out to take care of this. Well, you know, I, here's what I did. I mean, I I put uh, I pulled a lot of it up, but I bought some Roundup, mm-hmm. and it's enough for four thousand feet. Uh, I used almost a whole bottle. And it spray it does is it supposed to spray out or just come out as like as a trickle thing? That's the way it came out. That's why I use so much. And I don't see any change in the um the grass is not it's still green this morning. It's right. not turning brown or anything. Well it should, it should take it can generally with Roundup, if it came out, I don't know, you know, what you know, if you mix it up or if it was a spray in a bottle that you just pump or whatever it happens to be. But yeah, it takes about it two or three days before you're gonna start noticing a change. So if you just did this yesterday, it's not gonna you know, you're not gonna notice anything just one day later. 
Oh, I see. I thought it said on the bottle that you could see it's something right away. Oh, you know. It, it's one of the sprays. That, yeah, it's one of those pump, to, pump and go things. Right, exactly. So it's going to take a couple days. But hopefully it came out as a spray or as a foam, you know. No, it did, it came, it did not. So if it, it just out, came out as drips? It just came like a drip, only as it was a, a steady stream, but it was not spraying or anything. It yeah, was just well, like, the, what you should look at is the nozzle where the you know the herbicide's coming out, and dial that thing around to see if you can get it to come out you know as a broader spray. Yeah, well, that's I tried that, but it didn't work. So, um, so the next anyway, time you if you buy some in the future, find out from the staff there on the best way. You know, tell them what you need to have happen because you know just kind of a let's say a single beam of you know Roundup is not going to really help all that much. You're gonna. It's no. gonna look, you know, squiggly, but I don't think it's gonna get rid of your problem. And you mm-hmm. know, Bermuda grass and Roundup, Roundup is not all that totally effective against it. Well, what is the best thing for it then? Well, there's an individual thing. That's why I'm saying you're probably better off to get a professional service to come out because you have a huge area and you're just gonna be spinning your wheels over and over and over again. Okay. Well, after it after it is up. After they get it up, I mean, it dies. Right. I mean, is it still? T- I can still have time to uh, put down grass seed and aerate and, and all that stuff. It all depends on when they get out there because they may even be bringing a sod cutter to cut this big area out and just get rid of the Bermuda that way, improve the soil, and then put the seed down. So you may have to, you know, it just depends upon scheduling and everything else. Yeah, okay, okay. That's what I'm afraid of. I just I I had to do it, and I I know these places are busy right now to come out and aerate and stuff and right. do all that stuff that you say. Well, okay, Mike. Thank you very much. Yeah, sorry, but uh, Bermuda is a very tough, you know, grassy let's say weed to get rid of. It's just not it. You know, it's just tough. There's no getting around it. So anyway, thanks, Anita, and let's see, Natalie in South County. How are you? Hello, Natalie. Natalie. Good morning. morning. Hi. And thank you for taking my call. Sure. (laughs) Um, A couple of months ago, uh, new neighbors bought the house next door, and they're building a house uh, in addition, so they've been taking down these huge trees, like 30 and 40 and 50-foot trees. Ooh. And I was... um, there are two guys doing all this work, and they were taking a break, and I was lamenting the fact that they're taking all these trees down. I said, what a shame. And uh, the next morning I woke up, and they were planting a six-foot tree in my yard. They didn't <laughs> ask me or anything, but I said, it's a shame, you know, taking all these trees down. <laughs> so this tree disappeared there. They dug a big hole for it, and they, they planted it. And uh, it's some kind of a flowering tree. They think it's a, um, oh, what's the one with the big white blooms? Magnolia? They thought it was a magnolia, but it's definitely not a magnolia. So they, this has been two months now. They've planted it, and I've been watering it like crazy. And for a week, slowly but surely, the leaves began to turn brown. Um, now they're all brown, every single one. But it looks like there are little buds that are still alive. Does that tree have a chance? It's about six feet tall. Probably not. That's what I was thinking. So, I mean, the bud formation, bud formation means absolutely nothing. 
I wouldn't do anything. Stop watering it. Definitely. You shouldn't have, you know, you should really just run a hose at the base on a newly installed tree and run it for at a trickle for like an hour once a week or so. That's all it really needs. So if you're watering every day, you may have drowned. Not every day, but it's been so dry. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Overwatering could be a major problem. Okay. Once a week is all for an hour. At a trickle at the base, you know, run the water just to soak the root ball and don't do an exceptional amount of watering. So, yeah, so don't do anything to it. Just leave it alone and see what happens next spring. Okay, that's what I thought. Thank you so much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. If you do have any questions or concerns or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Phil lives in Ferguson. Phil, thanks for holding on. Yeah, hi, Mike. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I'm sure you've addressed this many times, Nutsedge, uh, a guy, I caught the end of his conversation where he was thanking you for giving him uh, a good suggestion on how to get rid of that stuff. Basically, it takes a very specific herbicide. It has to say sedge ender or sedge, S-E-D-G-E, killer. It's got to be that, and really none of the, even Roundup and stuff like that doesn't seem to be able to go after and get rid of the nutgrass. Uh, is that, uh, that's a, that's a spray. Yes, exactly. Uh, there, there is no pre-emergent type stuff for that to use in the spring, is there? No, there really isn't because it can come back from seed. So, you know, a pre-emergent would get rid of it, but for the most part, nutgrass is a perennial weed. So in other words, it comes back from the root system every year. All right. Uh, one other, uh, quick question. I hope, uh, just this past about a week, 10 days ago, uh, I've got a huge pin oak that I had uh, deadwooded just about, oh, uh, a year or so ago. But uh, in the middle of a very calm day, uh, the, probably the biggest branch on the limb broke and fell. I mean, this thing is like 17 inches in diameter. Whoa. Uh, and obviously, I think got damaged in those straight line winds that we had about six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it was. Uh, you know, it's probably 40 foot long, or was. Uh, do I need to have somebody come out and clean up that area up high where it broke off the the main tree? Well, uh, probably I would, That you know, they may address that. They're not going to put any kind of, let's say, fungicide on the open wound or anything else. But when it fell, it may have caused cracks in other limbs on the way down. And then consequently, those cracks, water could run down the trunk of your tree, get into the cracks that were caused by the falling limb, and then cause internal, you know, heartwood rot and those sort of things. All right. So I probably should have somebody at least. Yes, I certainly would. All right. Uh, Yeah, it was a big shock. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you very much. Yep, and with the nutgrass, I you know you could go ahead and try to you know put a, let's say sedge ender, which is made by Bonide, uh, you know, on it now. But next year, start watching early on because the herbicides, the sedge enders, are going to work much better earlier in the season than they're going to work later now, like in the season. Jack lives in Vandalia. Hi, Jack. Yes, sir. You hear me? Yes. All right. No, I know you're quite an expert. I've listened to you a lot, and you're very good. And your assistant was excellent. 
I have a very simple question, and it will settle a discrepancy with my friend. When is the best time to mow your yard? Is it in the morning after the dew clears, or is it later in the evening? I, I don't, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much, to be honest with you, just so you routinely do it. So it doesn't, you know, there's not yeah. really, I mean, I cut my grass a lot of times, which they, you know, the experts say never do that uh, in the heat of the day. Because, you know, I've been out on appointments. When I come home, that's the only time I can cut it. And then last Wednesday, we had a lot of rain. And they always say, don't cut your lawn after a rain. But it had stopped raining by the time I got home. I cut it, you know, that you know, on Wednesday. So I think if you just kind of keep, you know, everything else is healthy and good, I don't think it matters all that much when you do your mowing. Okay, I agree with you, and uh, but I'm thinking you don't want when it's wet, right? Well, I, you know, like I said, my lawn was really wet because it poured last Wednesday, and I mowed it anyway. Now I did clip, you know, I collected all the clippings, but and you know they, it was they were really heavy and wet and everything else. But uh, I just wanted to see what would happen because I've heard that you know don't mow a wet lawn, and uh, mine looks fine. Did you? have a bag on your mower? Yes, I did. I did collect the clippings in the, you know. I like to mow mine and let the grass fly, but you got to mow it maybe no. go too long. You mow it twice, and that way the clippings spread around. That's yeah. mulch, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it can fall down through. So, I mean, mulching mowers do basically do that. So they just kind of double clip everything before, even if you're not bagging them. So I only bag every so often. Because, you know, and I, definitely if the clippings yeah, are longer it. than in one inch. It's like vacuuming the living room when you got cats. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Am I right? <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Good luck. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there are all these sort of things, you do it, at, don't do it at night because of fungus, because the humidity is higher at night. So if you cut it, blah, 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 you might have more of a fungus problem. But if you just routinely keep it and also what height your mower is, that can be more trouble than anything else. Pat lives in Hazelwood. Hi, Pat. Oh, good morning, Mike. Thanks for your service. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Okay, I have a small dogwood tree in my front yard, and uh, there are no other trees around it. So it's right in the middle. It's a little tree, um, maybe eight feet tall or so. But, um, and it was just planted last year. It has, I think, more dead limbs than limbs with um, leaves on it. And I don't know if I should cut those or how far I should cut them or what what I should do with that. And most of them seem to be coming out, the dead-looking or the dry limbs are coming out of the middle. I don't know if I said that or not, but that's it. Yeah. Okay. So any, you know, any of the branches that don't have any leaves on them, you can take your fingernail if you want to and scrape the bark of those branches that have no leaves. And probably it's not going to be green underneath. So anything that doesn't have any leaves, I would just go ahead and and cut them off, cut them back. You know, if, if they're connected to the trunk or the next largest branch they're connected to and just kind of leave about a quarter inch stub. Okay. So, um, It'll probably take about half of my tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's either that. Well, you can just leave the dead you know, branches on there, and it'll look really scary for Halloween. Oh, but can I cut them now? Yeah. Anything that's dead, you can remove now. Okay. 
And I have another question. I have two hydrangeas. They they come up every year, beautiful leaves, and um, the highest this one has gotten is maybe uh, 12 or 15 inches high, and it's at least five years old. So I don't know what's wrong with these things or if they're uh, just... I don't know what to do with them. I would say they've not been planted correctly. If it's that old and it's only getting that high, there is no, you know, nothing that I know of called a dwarf hydrangea that would stay that low. So it was, they were probably planted too deep or something you know, when they were installed was not right. So that's what's wrong with them. Can you dig it up and raise it? Yes, especially one that's that tiny. Yeah, okay. And maybe it's, you know... Hopefully you don't have it too underneath your the eave of your house and all that other stuff either. So you want to make sure that it's getting adequate rainfall, moisture, and everything else. And if it's not flowering and it's staying that short, something's definitely wrong. And my guess is it just wasn't planted correctly. You want to make sure the top of the root ball is probably, you know, an inch or two above the surrounding ground. So in other okay. words, you got to do that with pretty much anything you plant. Okay. All right, great. Thank you so much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got a couple more minutes to go in about 10 minutes or so. And then at 10 o'clock is going to be Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards. 11 o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. 1 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show. And 3 o'clock, the Business of Family Business with Ryan Recker. And then 4 o'clock, Health Health Matters, sponsored by SSM Health with Fred Bottomore. So a lot of stuff coming on today. And let's go to Cora's yard, and she lives in New Melly. Hi, Cora. Hello. Hi. Uh, Yes, I have have a problem. Um, Last spring, I planted a peony. And uh, it did not bloom, of course, but this is all right. It looked healthy, but this, about a, for about the last month, there has been a white powdery something on all of the leaves. Right. Is that mildew? Will it kill it? What shall I do? Basically, peonies seem to have that problem. It's powdery mildew. You can put a fungicide on it, but you got to do it before it starts showing up. Or just accept the fact that this is going to happen every year and just don't look at it when it starts looking funky. Oh really? Yeah. It, it, but it won't. It won't kill the plant. No, it really won't. I mean, okay. it just you know, certain plants are just more prone to let's say have problems, and the peony foliage happens to be one that has powdery mildew, and it may take a couple more years before you're actually going to get any really flowers off the thing. Is that right? Yeah. Now it it doesn't get full sun. Oh, uh, is that a problem? Yes, that is. They would prefer full sun all day long, every day, and that's going to make the circumstance with, let's say, the powdery mildew, and it does have other kinds of fungus problems as well. But powdery oh, mildew really? is what you described, and so if you want to, you know, kind of, let's say, beat back the fungus problem, even though in a part shaded location, it's kind of the ideal circumstance for lots of different fungus. Next year, when the, the foliage starts coming up out of the ground, and right kind of probably before, just as it starts to flower, usually it's going to be around Memorial Day, then spray a fungicide, spray a fungicide for every, every couple of weeks all the way up until probably 1st or mid-August. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, I'm, I'm glad it's not going to kill it anyway. No, it, it should. I'll, 
I'll hope for the best. Thank you so much. <laughs> Certainly. And Flora, Illinois, is where Bill lives. Hi, Bill. Hello. Hi. Thank you very much. Uh, hey, I want to say thank you to your sponsors. You know, we forget them sometimes, but thank you for the sponsors that support you and put you on the radio. Sure. My question is, I have an arbor. It is breaking down under the weight of honeysuckle vines. Ooh. Now, um, how can I cut those back now? How far back can I cut them? Uh, basically, is this like the red trumpet honeysuckle, or is this the white-flowered vine honeysuckle? White, and, and it has a yellow. Yeah. So you've got, the like, say, the more or less the classic-type honeysuckle. You, this must be huge because, I mean, they're not really all that heavy, but, you know, it is really tough. It is durable. I would probably say if you're going to cut it off, leave about six feet or so. So the reason why I'm saying that is because you need to have foliage to help produce the plant material. And, uh, I mean, the, the food for the plants. So, in other words, the root systems uptake nutrients and moisture, and then it sends it up to the leaves, and then the leaves will, you know, use sunlight to create chlorophyll, which is food, and that will make the plant healthy. So if you cut it back too low, there may not be any foliage, and so consequently the, the root system may go downhill, and the plant just in general may go downhill. So leave about but six feet. That, but I can do that now. Yes. And but yeah, it is huge. It's it's a, a ten by ten square, and it's approximately eight feet tall, and you can't even see it. It is just absolutely <laughs> overgrown. Somebody asked me, said, is that an elephant out there? Uh, no. <laughs> the last thing was, what is the proper height of cutting grass? What do you what do you have for yours? It depends upon the season. I have zoysia. I always let my grass grow longer. The zoysia, up until the last two mowings, I had my mower set at five inches. Now I've got it back down to four and a half. But, you know, oh, people wow. scalp them too close, and that just sets up a scenario for weed invasions. Yeah, I'm, uh, we bought a, a, another place, and we are trying to reclaim it. Uh, I love Zoysa, and we're trying to work that with plugs and all. Um, last thing, you can trim shrubs uh, in September, right? Right. Or wrong? Yeah, it did, okay. you know, if you prune spring flowering ones, you're just cutting off, you know, flowers for next year. It doesn't really hurt them. You can do the pruning this time of year, yes. All right. You've been great help. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Well, you do the very same thing. And now let's go to Shirley in Maryland Heights. Hi, Shirley. Hi, Mike. I was just calling about the person who had the problem with the Bermuda grass. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the advice you gave her was very good. Because they had worked with, it's a quite a large lawn, and they tried the Roundup, and it did take forever. This year, they did dig it all out, and they replaced it with sod, and right now it looks beautiful. But that it was quite a large area. Right. And that's advice that you gave her of having to... Probably have to dig it up is about the only way to get that thing because they worked on it for a couple of summers, a couple of spring and summers. Yeah, I mean, there is one particular herbicide that will kill Bermuda, but you have to be a professional to get it. And many of the lawn services don't even know it exists. So, I mean, you can go online and look at, you know, killing Bermuda grass and will list, you know, the potential herbicides that will work. 
But I still say, like I said to her, uh, cutting the Bermuda out and then going back like what you, you know, what you did and experienced is going to be the best way. Now, just remember, there may be some, even if they got rid of the Bermuda, there may be some sprigs there that still could produce sprigs of roots. They still could produce some foliage. So just watch out for it. I know. It kind of started with just this little creeping spot. Right. You know? And eventually the whole place was taken over. <laughs> exactly. So I, that's true. Watch out for those little creepy-looking spots that turn brown too soon. Right, exactly. And well, I appreciate appreciate all the years you've been serving us, and it's wonderful to be on our yeah. program. Well, thank you very much, Shirley. Now let's go to Mary Jo in Mascuda. Hi, Mary Jo. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a, a, about a two- or three-year-old blue spruce. It's about six feet tall. And my daughter drove in some uh, Job's fertilizer spikes in back in April, and it's really looking good. And I was wondering if we should put drive some more of those fertilizer spikes in now. No, I would not certainly do that. But what you might do is just make sure, you know, every year or so, because... You know, the spruce wants to have an acidic soil that you go to your favorite garden center and get some iron sulfate and sprinkle that around the base and water it in. Iron sulfate? Yes. So it has iron and sulfur together. So the iron, uh, the sulfur is going to change the soil pH, make it acidic, and then the iron is going to help just the overall health. Sprinkle that around the ground? Yes, and then just walk, just kind of in between where the trunk's coming up out of the ground and right at the edge of where the branches extend out. I see. And, and uh, would, well, next spring, would you use some of those Job's fertilizer? I wouldn't, no, I don't think so. You don't really need to do that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I've got a bunch of them that's going to go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can auction them off. And I also, uh, we have uh, ever-bearing raspberry plants, mm -hmm. and um, I, uh, they, they haven't been doing too good the last two years. And one of my sons planted some tomatoes nearby, and I was wondering if that was a cause of why our raspberry plants weren't producing very well. No, that has nothing to do with it, basically. Uh, the raspberries, maybe the canes are old, so that might be a factor as much as anything else. Uh-huh. Might be getting too old. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. Well, thank you, and thanks to everybody for calling in today. I greatly appreciate it, and remember, if you weren't there, I would not be here. So it's the listeners that make this show. I don't make this show. I'm just full of adjectives, as you well know. So I just, you know, it's just real fun for me. And I like to, you know, do stuff that's, let's say, not accepted or you shouldn't do, like cutting my grass right after it really poured on Wednesday and the ground was really wet and everything else. I've heard for years, don't cut your grass when it's really wet. I just did it in a, you know, I took a chance. I could have killed my lawn. But I always like to do what is not, what you're told not to do. Because that's the only way you learn is you got to fool around with, yes, you got to do this, but don't do this. I'll do it anyway. So Mike Miller, KMY's Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.